0: Lawrence Edmondson, ESPN's Dean of Formula One Racing. Where
1: are you right now at this moment and what is going on, sir? I am in my hotel room in Manama, Bahrain, which uh, in recent years has been where the Formula One season starts. Formula One is probably best described as a traveling circus. We all go round together. And this is a little bit like the first day back at school. We've all got to catch up with, with each other over the winter and you know um it's for some people it's been a couple of months since they've seen each other so we're all kind of you know getting uh to catch up with each other and um and looking forward to what we hope we hope will be an exciting season for those who don't know what does the kingdom of bahrain even look like on the ground well it's actually it's an island off the off the coast of saudi arabia and uh, there's a causeway that links the two Manama, which is the capital city which is where i am Uh, makes up most of the north of the island. And the circuit is actually uh, midway down towards the south. And so to drive there, you drive um, on this long, superheated highway, kind of four lanes wide, uh, going down um, to to the circuit. And on either side, uh, there's desert. I'm I'm always reminded by bits of it, look a bit like Tatooine for any Star Wars fans out there. Um, You know, there's there's elements where you you could believe that uh, Jabba the Hutt lives kind of just over the brow of the hill.
0: You have put yourself in my good graces with the Star Wars reference. We can get to that later, if at all. But I must say, I primarily as a closed wheel racing NASCAR fan, people, even those without English accents, often look down their nose at me when I tell them that. What is it about F1 fans that are so condescending towards NASCAR fans like me?
1: I mean, I, 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 I believe in a broad church. You know, I, <laughs> I, I'm fully uh, into NASCAR. In fact, my first trip uh, to go and see NASCAR at Texas Motor Speedway blew me away on a level that I haven't been blown away by watching motor racing since I first saw a Formula One car. So, and I was quite young back then and impressionable. So, yeah. Uh, look, I'm all for it, but I, I think you're right. I think it's because you know, in Formula One, we perhaps wrongly, perhaps correctly, consider that we have the best engineers, that we have the best drivers, um, but that's very much a European-centric view of looking at it. Um, actually, funny enough, I was here a few years ago in Bahrain and Fernando Alonso, two-time Formula One world champion, swapped cars with Jimmy Johnson. So Fernando was out in the NASCAR, Jimmy Johnson was out in the McLaren. And I just think we need more of that because uh, they both had a great time uh, getting to know each other's cars and kind of understanding what the two series are about.
0: Red Bull, Mercedes, McLaren, Ferrari, yeah, the one with the horses. Here in the States, we think of them as brands, but when it comes to Formula One, they are the teams to beat. As usual, the storylines around the circuit are as exciting as the races themselves. After winning six of his seven championships with Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton is bolting for Ferrari. Red Bull's Max Verstappen is entering his own Jordan era, and using the head of his teammate Sergio Perez as a stepping stone. And everyone is desperately trying to copy each other's homework when it comes to car designs. So, with the starting pistol set to fire on the 2024 F1 season at the Bahrain Grand Prix on Saturday, which you can watch on ESPN, F1 editor Lawrence Edmondson, who is there on the ground, takes us inside all the drama. I'm Clinton Yates. It's Thursday, February 29th, This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Anejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, before we look ahead, Lawrence, please do get us up to speed, so to speak. How did things turn out last season?
1: Well, it was all a little bit one sided. Uh, max Verstappen won his third consecutive title, and he did it in a way that we've never seen any driver do it before. And Max Verstappen, who's put in
0: max effort. Four-
1: took 19 wins out of 22 races. Uh, His team, Red Bull, won 21 of 22 races. McLaren back in 1988 did the same. They won all but one race, but there were fewer races back then. So it was really a level of dominance we've not seen before. And it's led to this concern that, you know, after a lot of fans got into Formula One, be it through Drive to Survive or that epic 2021 title fight between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, that was Max's first championship, uh, that perhaps uh, people will start to lose interest if it continues this way. So everyone's here, fingers crossed that we're gonna have a slightly more exciting season coming up, but at the moment, Red Bull, Max Verstappen, they've got the target on the back. They are the guys to beat. How do you feel about that
0: regarding competitive
1: balance? Well, I've worked in Formula 1 now since around kind of 2011. I've been a fan since I was, old enough to watch it on tv um so i'm aware that formula one does have these periods of dominance it's not unusual red bull had another one between 2010 and 2013 where they won every every year mercedes had one quite recently from 2014 through to 2020 um but i always gauge it by how many uh messages i'm getting in whatsapp groups with my friends who don't watch the sport and and how interested they are in it uh and and when those go silent you know the f1's got a bit of an issue Um, So I I really do wish that uh, we can have a more competitive sport because I think what we saw in 2021 as an example was a level of drama that this sport can produce. It can be one of those sports that is capable of grabbing anybody no matter whether you're technically minded, uh, whether you even have a driving license. You know, you can be grabbed by the sport and how exciting it is, but only when it's competitive. So
0: globally, Lewis Hamilton is, of course, one of those names that a lot of lay people recognize when it comes to F1. He's sitting on seven championships tied with Michael Schumacher for the most of any driver ever. And he's been a stalwart on the Mercedes F1 team for some time. But it looks like things are set to
1: change, Lawrence. What is going on with Hamilton? Well, Lewis Hamilton surprised all of us. And I'm not ashamed to say myself included uh, on the 1st of February when it was announced that he was gonna join Ferrari next year. Now, slightly unusual, I think, compared to other sports in that he has a full season to sit out at Mercedes with everyone knowing that at the end of the year, he's going to one of their biggest rivals, Ferrari. Um, So it's, I I don't know how to put this into context, but it's about as big a move as you can get within this sport. You've got Lewis Hamilton, the most successful driver of, uh, of all time based on race wins. And of course, tied with Schumacher on championships, going to the team with the biggest name, the most recognizable name, you know, it's it's one of those brands that transcends uh, the sport. It transcends the automotive world. Ferrari means so much to so many people. And of course, it's the brand that's been in Formula One since the day the sport began in 1950. So it, it's huge. It's massive. And what makes it so exciting is that none of us saw it coming. We all thought Lewis Hamilton was a Mercedes man through and through uh, this will be his 12th season at the team. He got signed up by a team that was then called McLaren-Mercedes. It was McLaren, which still exists in F1, and Mercedes engines. But it was essentially Mercedes money that was going into backing his junior career at the age of 13. And yet he's left all of that to go and pursue what he says is a childhood dream. He said this is what he dreamt of when he used to play computer games. He used to pick the Ferrari. Um, you know, he has uh, made this decision to end his career, we suspect, because you know, he's 39 years old now, the biggest team in the sport. So break this down for me.
0: He still has one more season left to race with Mercedes, which is this season, meaning he will be competing against his upcoming team. That kind of palace intrigue, I think, is part of what makes F1 so desirable. But from a strict order of operation standpoint, that seems like it would create a real, I don't want to say potential conflict of interest situation, but
1: a very difficult road to navigate, for lack of a better term, for both teams, no? It does. It does. He's not the first driver to do it. We've had this uh, on a number of occasions before, but every time it is awkward. There's two drivers in each team. So Lewis Hamilton has a teammate, a guy called George Russell, who Uh, has committed to Mercedes uh, for this year and the year beyond that. So you do start to think, you know, if there are a few parts, that one that's slightly better than the other, whereas previously you might have expected that to go to Lewis's car, now I wouldn't be surprised if that is is going to uh, George Russell's car. And the other question, of course, is whether they bring some of the secrets across and inevitably they do. So what you'll see during this year is that Lewis Hamilton will be phased out of some of the engineering briefings, the ones that are looking forward to the following season. And beyond that, we've got a big regulation change in 2026. He will be phased out of all of that. And that will be so strange for him because for so long, he has been the person that, you know, almost that this Mercedes team revolves around. When you talked with this program early
0: last season, we were coming off Hamilton's first winless season in 2022. He obviously didn't win an eighth championship last year. How did performance in 2023, both his and the
1: Mercedes car, factor into this decision to leave for his apparent childhood dream, Ferrari? Well, I think if Lewis Hamilton had won the last two seasons uh, he, you know, with Mercedes, he, he, he probably wouldn't be leaving the team. In fact he may have left formula one earlier because he would have got that eighth world championship and when we talk about the eighth championship with lewis we're not just talking about the record-breaking championship that moves him ahead of michael schumacher in the record books we're also talking about regaining a championship that he believes was stolen from him in 2021 uh, in the controversial season finale in abu dhabi here
0: comes lewis hamilton though drama of all the controversy of all the magic moments in Formula One in 2021. It comes down to this. Mercedes not happy. Red Bull will be delighted. They have shared a brilliant championship battle, but the championship can only be won by one. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world.
1: But then if you look at the competitiveness of of Mercedes and you look at Ferrari. Well, actually, Mercedes is arguably the better bet. Ferrari haven't won a title in 16 years. 2007 is the last time a Ferrari driver won a championship, which is so long ago. So Lewis is taken on a big challenge, but listening to him speak recently, he he talked to the press for the first time about this move last week. Obviously in summer, uh, yeah, we signed. And obviously I I, at that time, my future with mercedes but um an opportunity came up um in the new year and i decided to take it i feel like it was obviously the hardest decision i think i've ever had to make obviously i've been with mercedes for i think it's like 26 years they've supported me and we've had an incredible an absolutely incredible journey together We've created history within the sport and it's something um, I take a lot of pride and I'm very proud of of, of what we've achieved. But um, I think ultimately I'm writing my story and I felt like this would be, it was time to start a new chapter. And I think that challenge, that ability to be the driver that brings Ferrari, this big, huge global brand that is so synonymous with Formula One back to the front to do what Schumacher did there in the year 2000, when again they had had this big title drought that had stretched back to 1979 and Schumacher was the one that broke it in 2000. Well, I think Lewis Hamilton feels like if he does the same, he will write himself into the record books in a whole different way. Uh, he'll become one of only two drivers uh, to have um, won the championship with three different teams. There's so many facets to this that make it appealing to Lewis. And I think ultimately, uh, you know, that's kind of a lot of what drove the decision.
0: We talked about engineering earlier in the program. Is there an engineering
1: difference here with Ferrari that might have played a part in this? Yeah, there could be actually, because Mercedes, since their period of success, uh, have lost a number of key engineers. Now, some of that is just natural career progression. Uh, There was a guy called James Fowler who looked after their race strategy and and kind of had this big role as well in looking after the junior drivers now he got to a point at mercedes where he didn't really have any way he could go in that team and so he left the team to go and be team principal the team boss at williams um so there's been a number of examples like that where people have just left mercedes towards the end of this period of dominance that they had from 2014 through to 2020 and have gone looking elsewhere meanwhile ferrari feel like a team that's building um they've recently got a new team principal in charge, a guy called Fred Vasseur. He joined at the start of last year and he's really inspired people there and also inspired people to go there. And he is key as well to the Lewis Hamilton decision. If we talk about reasons, well, Fred Vasseur and Lewis Hamilton go back to around 2005, 2006, when Fred was uh, Lewis's team boss in Formula Three, which as you can imagine, a couple of stages below Formula One, and then in GP2, which was the old name for Formula Two. And uh, they won championships together and they always stayed in touch. And you know what? It turned out just when Lewis was thinking about where he makes his next step, whether he stays with Mercedes, Fred was the team boss at Ferrari. And I think that was key as well to to Lewis having the confidence to go somewhere where he knows he's going to have someone he can trust and someone who he is a genuine friend with right at the top of that team. On the Mercedes side of things, who is going to replace Hamilton as the featured driver? That's a big question and the answer really is that you can't replace Lewis Hamilton in terms of Uh, his appeal across the board in terms of what he brings from a marketing point of view the sponsors that get excited about him there is no one on lewis hamilton's level there are no other seven time world champions on the grid so it's a really tough tough question i talked about george russell his his teammate earlier um you know there's a very good driver in in russell that mercedes will have going forward and it will be about who they want to pair him with if they want to go with someone who uh, has that title winning history, then the only driver they have available is a guy called Fernando Alonso, who is, to use his own words in Netflix, the villain in Formula One, you know, the guy that people love to hate, but he is also so competitive and so good and would love probably nothing more than taking Lewis Hamilton's uh, old seat at Mercedes and making that team win again. Uh, so, so there is a, a name that I've heard um, mentioned uh, already in in relation to that seat, and then another one is is one of Mercedes junior drivers. And you know, I talked about how Lewis Hamilton joined Mercedes at the age of 13. Well, they picked up another driver at the age of 11 a few years back. Now he's now 17. He's a guy called Kimi Antonelli, and he's going to race in Formula Two this year. Now, if he has a stellar Formula Two season, goes and wins a championship, he's going to have nowhere to go but Formula One. And while Mercedes probably never dreamt of putting him in a Formula 1 car at the age of 18, which is what he'll be next year. Um, if Without Lewis there, perhaps he could be an option for them. Coming up, we'll look at the stories on the track coming at us this season.
0: Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement... Macy's gift finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them. Both you can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to say hundred bucks and below. You can also sort by category like fragrance handbags and more or gift lists like for the mom who has everything or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma find top brands like studio pro model beats, headphones, Polaroid cameras and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th, and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. All right, Mr. Edmondson, there is a whole field to discuss beyond Lewis Hamilton. So let's start at the top with Max Verstappen and Team Red Bull. Three straight championships, Verstappen is the most dominant force in the sport, driving the best car on the circuit. How far ahead of the field are they at this point?
1: Well, that's what we've all been trying to figure out. So the reason I've been in Manama for so long is because last week we had preseason testing, which is three days for the teams to understand their new cars. Now, us journalists will go and look at the cars, look at the times they're setting, talk to the people involved in the teams and try and understand how the whole field shapes up. Um, you know it's a it's a bit like pre-season training but it's got a whole nother dynamic to it and my best guess at the moment is anywhere between 0.2 of a second per lap and maybe even over half a second per lap now that might not sound like a huge amount you know we're talking a blink of an eye more or less with 0.2 of a second but in Formula One that's actually quite a lot you know to have a competitive race you need it to be really tight you need it to be uh, below 0.2 of a second really but the the one thing that everybody I talked to last week said is that Red Bull are still the team to beat. A few of them are hopeful that over the course of the year, they'll be able to chip away at whatever that gap is. But there's no doubt about it right now. They're in the lead. And and we'll find out in qualifying for the Bahrain Grand Prix, which is uh, coming up on Friday. And uh, we'll find out then exactly how big that gap is.
0: Well, when you talk to other teams, how do you close that gap? If Red Bull is so far ahead with the smartest people and the most money, is that a foregone
1: conclusion in terms of the win? And how do other teams even compete? It's a great question. And you know what, if I, if I knew the answer of, of how they close the gap, I'd be knocking on the doors of Mercedes <laughs> and Ferrari. So much of the performance of these cars is tied to aerodynamics. An aeroplane wing is generated to create lift once you get over a certain speed, so the plane rises up into the air. Well, a Formula One car is almost that turned upside down. And so as you generate speed, the car gets pushed into the ground. And that's what allows these cars to go through corners at speeds that you could never even attempt uh, or come close to attempting in, in your road car. What we saw last year was a lot of teams starting to copy similar shapes to the Red Bull, uh, but the problem is, is that when you're copying someone's homework, you sometimes get found out, and Red Bull started this season with a car that just looks different again. It's a similar concept, but it's so far evolved beyond, and so while a few teams have turned up with you know, cars that look a bit like a Red Bull from last year, Red Bull have moved the game on again, and that's why it's so difficult. Red Bull has some great engineers, but there are some great engineers at all the other teams. And some of those other teams, Mercedes, Ferrari, have innovations of their own. So the hope is that when we get to the competitive sessions of this uh, year, qualifying in Bahrain, uh, the race afterwards in Saudi Arabia, Australia, all these circuits are slightly different. Some will suit some cars over others. The hope is that by the end of that, we have a situation uh, where different teams can win at different tracks. If
0: Red Bull is trying to stay ahead of the game and come up with, for lack of a better term, new styles for the runway every fashion season while putting everybody else in the dust, is it possible that they kill their own golden goose overproducing something that clearly is
1: already at an advantage? New styles for the runway. I might have to steal that one. If you see that appear <laughs> in ESPN Coffee on .com, you know where it's come from. <laughs> no um, problem. This is a question that a lot of people were asking because before preseason testing, we have what are called car launches. So the team's Take literally a cover off their car for the first time, and we get to have a look at it. And when everyone saw it, they thought, Wow, that's not really what we're expecting. It is that other step above. Wait a minute, what if they've got it wrong? You know, and it does happen. And um, when we're talking about a lot of these shapes and designs, yes, it's about aerodynamics, but it's also part of that package is also the cooling of the engine underneath and if you don't allow yourself enough cooling you can turn up to some very hot races we go to some uh, we basically follow the sun around the world during the year and you can turn up at some places and if you've got 35 uh, degrees celsius heat 100 degree fahrenheit heat then the car can overheat and you can have some serious problems and all of a sudden you're trying to reverse engineer um, out of all the good work you've done now while that was a possibility, I'd have to say from testing, uh, those three days we had in the heat in Bahrain, uh, basically on a desert circuit track, it looked like the car was actually the step that Red Bull had hoped for. Okay, let's get to the T, as the kids call it here in the
0: States. The guy who came in second last year, Sergio Perez, for Verstappen's teammate with Red Bull. If you watch Rob to Survive, you'll know about the friction between them. Last year, you told this program that managing that relationship is perhaps one of the most difficult aspects of Formula One. How has this evolved over the past year, sir?
1: Well, because Max was so dominant last year, I think it actually eased that relationship quite a bit. Um, It started off at the start of last year, Sergio Perez won two races, Max Verstappen won two races, and then they went to Miami for the first race in the United States that year. And Max uh, beat Uh, Sergio Perez despite starting further back on the grid. And that was a key moment in the season because after that, it seems like Perez's head just dropped. He just lost a bit of confidence in himself. Max Verstappen started doing things with the car that Sergio Perez could only really dream of. And so by the end of it, Max was so dominant that I think Sergio Perez was resigned to the fact that he was second. In fact, there was a stage when it looked like he might not even finish second. And um, Max Verstappen was so far ahead that really he didn't have to worry about Sergio Perez. And from a Red Bull management point of view, that was probably the easiest solution to what was starting to look at times like a bit of a prickly situation. But yeah, r- right now, I think it's, it, it's fairly easy if that continues. But as soon as you have two drivers uh, in a dominant car fighting for the championship, it does create this tension that I don't think you get in other sports because your teammate is all of a sudden... Uh, your best enemy as well well if that relationship continues
0: to be so obviously number one versus number two what does the future look like for perez is there
1: any chance that red bull could just decide guess what we're moving on there is a possibility of that and there were people talking about that at the end of last year and right now it looks like Red Bull are so dominant doesn't it so does it really matter that perez is so far off well if they continue like that i guess it doesn't but If Mercedes and Ferrari and McLaren and Aston Martin and any other team start to close the gap to Red Bull, then they need Sergio Perez to be on the top of his game. While we mainly talk about the Drivers' Championship when we talk about Formula One, there's also what we call the Constructors' Championship, which is the Team Championship. And that takes the points of both drivers, adds them together, and then gives you your position in the standings. Now, if Mercedes, let's say, just for the sake of argument, come out with a car that is very close to Red Bull this year, and they are fighting, you know, right with them. Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, I would put money on those two scoring more points uh, than Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez because Perez has struggled so much. And at that point, it starts to become very costly for the team because the prize money at the end of the year is linked to the Constructors' Championship. So um, Red Bull have to be confident enough that Sergio Perez is the man to ensure that they win the Constructors' Championship. And so we start to look at other drivers who are in the mix for that seat. One name that always comes up is a guy called Daniel Ricciardo. I'd like to think some of your listeners might have heard of him. He's a very popular Australian driver, um, huge star of Drive to Survive. And he's currently in Red Bull's junior team. Red Bull are the only company on the grid with two teams. And he's in their junior team, but perfectly placed to replace Perez if Perez doesn't perform. And the best thing about all of this from a story point of view is that Perez knows that. And Ricardo knows that. So when they go out there racing, they have that extra pressure to prove to the bosses at Red Bull that they are the right guy to be Max Verstappen's teammate.
0: Anything else you're looking at as the start of the season approaches? Drivers, teams, I don't know. Circuits that might have been ill-advisedly constructed in certain United States cities. I'm joking. What else should we be looking for if someone is approaching this season as
1: perhaps their first in F1? Hey, I'm looking forward to Las Vegas. I, I know it had its teething issues, but I think that race by the end of it was pretty good. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident we'll have another good one. So that is something I'm actually looking forward to. Um, plus I, I do love my trips to the United States. Um, elsewhere, it really is that question of who is the team behind Red Bull that is gonna start to make that gap? Because you've got like four teams together that are really hard to pick one over the other. At the moment, I'd say Ferrari looked like the closest challenger off the back of the testing that we saw. But Mercedes aren't far behind, McLaren aren't far behind, Aston Martin aren't far behind. And within those teams, you have some great drivers. Charles Leclerc, who will be Lewis Hamilton's teammate when Lewis goes there is an incredibly fast driver over a single lap, over a qualifying lap, arguably one of the fastest. His race craft, as we call it, his ability to turn that into race wins, maybe slightly questionable. But if he has a competitive car, he'll be able to prove me right or wrong on that. And then there's guys like Fernando Alonso, two-time world champion, legend of the sport. More desire, I think, than anybody else in Formula One to get back on the top step of the podium and hold a winner's trophy. He hasn't won since 2013. Give him a sniff at it, I think he'll be right up there. And then a guy like Lando Norris, uh, you know, another brilliant young driver coming through has just committed his future long term to McLaren. What if McLaren get it wrong this year? That's a whole nother question again. So, yeah, excuse excuse my geekery, my love for this sport, but, <laughs> but there's so many good stories there.
0: On the ground in Bahrain, the way that we ask this question stateside is, who you got in this first race?
1: Well, I think everyone's got Max Verstappen and uh, I know this podcast has been leaning that way and I I don't want to put people off watching because like I said at the very start as well there is a chance that something goes wrong that perhaps there's a parameter no one's thought about perhaps one of the other teams was hiding a little bit of what they could do but yeah Max Verstappen's the guy to beat and um, if you're if you're placing bets you won't get very good odds but yeah he's your number one
0: Well, we'll be looking for you in the crowd on ESPN this weekend. Thank you, Lawrence. Thank you. The 2024 Formula One season gets underway with the Bahrain Grand Prix this Saturday. You can watch all the action at 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow, kiddos, and happy leap year.